Welcome to episode 139 of Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church, for Christ Church, and for all who would care uh, to listen in. I'm here with my uh, good friend and co-host, Dr. Gabriel Williams. Good being here. And uh, we are here uh, today to talk about a subject that is uh, on the minds of many when they walk into a Presbyterian church. Uh, perhaps uh, there's the stereotype of the Presbyterian church uh, always wanting to think and talk about the doctrine of predestination. And uh, we know this uh, doctrine has is quite controversial among uh, Christians, uh, particularly uh, those um, that, that we would know that would have a kind of uh, rugged American individualism. Uh, we have a, a very uh, sort of autonomous mindset. I suppose this doesn't originate uh, in America, but has been there from the very beginning. We see these debates going all the way back to Augustine and Pelagius, as as well as uh, to uh, the Synod of Dort in 161819. Uh, uh, and and so this this topic is is an interesting one. Uh, it's not only interesting. Uh, it's that which is foundational to our salvation. And so mm -hmm. we want to, to discuss it uh, today uh, briefly, if uh, we're able to do so, <laughs> on such a massive subject, uh, but one that is incredibly important and, uh, and central to, to our redemption in Christ. And, and so in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, a foundational text uh, as it concerns predestination, where it's mentioned numerous times, uh, chapter 1, verse 3 begins like this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, that is in Christ, before the foundation of the world. And in case there's any confusion here from our listeners, mm -hmm. that means before the world was created, God chose the elect in Christ. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Mm -hmm. uh, then I'm going to go down uh, to verse 11 where it states, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And then in Romans chapter 8, uh, these texts which I've been recently preaching from uh, in our church, Paul writes in Romans 8, 28 through 30, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so we see here, Gabe, clearly the scriptural warrant for the doctrine of predestination. Mm -hmm. Let's unpack a little bit uh, about what this means. I think in three parts. In other words, what is predestination founded in? Where does it flow out of? Mm -hmm. uh, secondly, why is predestination necessary if yeah. we are to be saved? And thirdly, uh, we want to uh, explore the important point that God not only ordains the ends, but also the means to the ends, which That's means right. that things like evangelism, preaching, Christ coming and dying on the cross actually have meaning and significance and are necessary in order for our salvation to be true. 
So let's explore those three. Sure. So the first thing has to be said, and this is actually mentioned in the Westminster Confession, is that uh, the topic of predestination must be taken with special care and concern because there are many ways in which you can distort the doctrine. Uh, There are many ways in which you can proclaim or teach this doctrine in a way that neglects God's love, his purpose for humanity, and his purpose for the elect. So there are many ways that this can be distorted. And this is a doctrine for Christians. Yes, right. Exactly. So uh, Lloyd-Jones made this point uh, in a sermon I listened to a few weeks ago that we don't get into conversations with non-Christians about the doctrine of predestination. This is a yeah. doctrine for the comfort of believers, not to pound over the head of unbelievers who exactly. don't even know Christ or the gospel. Exactly. So, in terms of the first major point to emphasize here is that when we speak about predestination, back in Romans 8, 29, you saw the word foreknew that's in there. And foreknew is not just the uh, philosophical doctrine of having knowledge of something ahead of time or just simply having or knowing something to occur in the future. And so, you make a decision based upon that. And that's, and Gabe, that's exactly what... People do with that, right? Yeah. They, they, they try to explain away uh, predestination by mm-hmm. using that word foreknew mm-hmm. as a way to say, well, God foreknew that we would choose him, and so he chose us. Yeah. God knew that we would exercise faith, and so he would choose us and predestine us. Yeah. So how, how is that just, I think it's important for us to think about this for a minute. How, how is that wrong to think that way in terms of what we know about what scripture teaches well first what we know is that when it comes to what it means to be foreknown romans 8 29 is not the first time this comes up so this appears at least three different times in the old testament in reference to israel israel was considered uh, god's son and god set his love upon israel and the way that it's described in exodus is that israel was foreknown by god that could not mean in the way that people think about this philosophically that god saw israel's behavior and then decided to act graciously towards them. Yeah. It's actually the opposite. <laughs> or that he didn't have foreknowledge about other nations. Exactly. <laughs> uh, foreknow, God knows everything. He's omniscient. And so to say he foreknew Israel yeah. couldn't have meant that he just had information about them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this comes up, at, and once you kind of read through the scriptures in a kind of way, just watching how this unfolds, God's choosing of Israel is not the first time this has happened either. So consider the choosing of Abraham from the mass of all of the other pagan idolaters that existed in the land of Ur. Consider, for instance, the choosing of Isaac over Ishmael. Consider the choosing of Jacob over Esau. Consider, for instance, the choosing of the nation of Israel over against every other nation that was enslaved by the Egyptians. And so the theme reappears multiple times. It's not a reference of just the knowledge that God has of peoples because he is omniscient. We know that from the rest of scripture. It is a statement of how God sets his love and affection in a special and peculiar way upon a group of people. So that word could literally be translated 
for loved, mm-hmm. not just for known, but for loved or for cherished. Yeah. Uh, we know in the Old Testament that it talks about Adam knowing Eve, mm-hmm. and they bore a son. Exactly. Right? Uh, and and so that word known is used in the Old Testament literature as something more than just knowing about someone, but knowing them intimately, personally, loving them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's an important point, isn't yeah. it? So it's not that God looks through the portals of time. Mm-hmm. And sees us acting in a good way, or doing good works, or exercising faith from our own mm-hmm. volition or free will, and then chooses us because that would necessarily mean that we are saved not by grace but, but by, by works, future works that we could do, future works that we could do. Yeah, mm-hmm. then the, the thing that that God yes yeah, sees us you know in the future doing, mm-hmm. uh, and and so this is a, a nonsense. Really, it's a non-starter that you would say that foreknow would somehow qualify predestination as God foreknowing that we would do good things for Him to choose us. Yeah. And this leads to the second point that we want to talk about briefly, and that is that predestination is necessary if the doctrine of total depravity is true. Exactly. And and total depravity ta- is taught in Scripture. Uh, the Bible says in the next chapter in Ephesians chapter two verse one that we in our natural selves are dead in our transgressions and sins that means no spiritual life mm-hmm. or health in us as the old anglican uh, book of common prayer says there's no health in us naturally we uh, we sin with our thoughts our words and our deeds nothing the bible says we are to love the lord thy god with all of our heart soul mind and strength and love our neighbors ourselves we never do either of those for exactly. one second of our lives perfectly mm-hmm. um, and so so human depravity and sin uh, makes it impossible for this idea that God would see us living a certain way and mm-hmm. then choose us, uh, because in and of ourselves we are helpless uh, and unable uh, exactly. to love God and to choose God and to approach God uh, on our own, mm-hmm. uh, from our own strength. And this goes back to uh, previous things you read in Romans about the nature of man. So if God were to choose someone based upon their good works, we know from Romans 3 that no one seeks after God. We know from Romans 3 that all of our actual deeds and actions are not just slightly tainted by sin, but they are thoroughly polluted. But I think in terms of the Old Testament, the best way to understand how predestination works with total depravity is to consider God's relationship with Israel. Uh, in the Old Testament. It is very clear when you read the prophets. So, for example, think of Ezekiel. When Ezekiel is calling Israel to account because of their sin and wickedness, what is often said is those two things pieced together. One, God did not choose Israel because they were a glorious nation. Rather, according to Ezekiel, they were the least of the nations, but God set their love and affection upon them. And then second, when Ezekiel confronts Israel, it is about all of their sins that they have done. Like God continued to be faithful to them in spite of all of the wickedness that they were doing with the priesthood, all of the wickedness done with the actual social ethical sins they were committing. And that is where predestination was applied to Israel, is that in spite of their sins, God still set their love and affection. And therefore, God could not forsake Israel because his love was already set upon them. That is what predestination is about. And it assumes that it is based not upon your works. It's the opposite. It is in spite of the works of the person. And that means 
It is God's loving intention to save and redeem that is the cause of his uh, gracious actions towards us. It is not because he saw Israel's good works because they had none. It is because of God's own uh, faithfulness to his previous promises to Abraham and based upon who he is in himself. He is utterly faithful and cannot go against his word. So we choose God only because he first chooses us. Exactly. We decide to follow Christ only because God has first decided to mm -hmm. draw us to himself even exactly. before the foundation of the world. And, and this is good news. Mm -hmm. uh, this is comforting because if our salvation is grounded or the basis of our salvation is our choosing God, our deciding for God, then that means necessarily that we can get ourselves out of this, that exactly. we can decide not for him and, and, and not choose him or, or undo that somehow. And we know that what God starts, he finishes, that That's he right. who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And, and we can rejoice in this. And this, this is not some kind of a, a convenient way to live in sin mm -hmm. while having fire insurance in your back pocket. <laughs> yeah. You know, some people like to talk about that. Oh, what a convenient doctrine for you Presbyterians. You believe mm -hmm. in predestination. I guess you can just live how you want. Well, those who have that mindset, mm -hmm. okay, are not Christians. It's said multiple times in the New Testament, either to A, make your calling and election sure, which is a statement about one, that you ought to live a life worthy of the calling that you have in Christ Jesus. And then there's just the second major reality that occurs in the New Testament, that you have all of these warning passages there for a reason. If predestination meant that you could live a life of complete unbelief and debauchery and not have any sort of consequences attached to it, then the warning passages wouldn't be true warnings. There would just be uh, just arbitrary statements said to random people. That's right. The book of Hebrews is full of them. I mean, mm -hmm. that really is so uh, central to that book, warning mm -hmm. Uh, the Hebrew Christians, uh, first of all, not to be discouraged mm -hmm. and not to give up, but to keep going with the persecution that's taking place, mm -hmm. but also uh, to to remember that just because you are baptized, just because you're a member of a church, doesn't mean mm -hmm. that you can sit back and, and, and rest on that. You, you, exactly. you rest your faith in Christ and, and you persevere by His grace through His Spirit in Christ. And so, yeah, this idea that, that we would use predestination as a kind of way to live a sinful life. Well, the Bible speaks to that, and it mm -hmm. tells us to test ourselves and see if we're in the faith. Um, and, and so that, that's an important point that needs to be made. So, so we've, we've considered that the doctrine of predestination, it, it flows from the fountain of God's eternal love, mm -hmm. His sovereign grace. Uh, no one deserves this. Exactly. Let, let it be said that the, the only sinners who receive salvation are unworthy sinners. Amen. Um, there's none of this God looking into the future and seeing worthy people to choose. Mm -hmm. uh, when he looks into the future, all he sees are sinners who exactly. are dead in their transgressions and sins, and by his grace and according to his divine prerogative, and not, not uh, uh, required to do this for anyone, he, mm -hmm. he, he sets his love and affection, his, his foreknowledge, as it were, upon unworthy elect sinners and he predestines them unto 
everlasting life. Now, that's not the end of the story. We don't believe in eternal justification. Uh, In other words, sinners weren't justified before the foundation of the world. Some things had to happen first. Exactly. And so this is where we come to the wonderful golden chain of salvation in Romans 8.30, where it says, and for those who were predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. glorified. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... What we have here is predestination, sort of the part of salvation that is before time with God's electing love, but then we have historical salvation, that would ha- which happens in space and time, and, and those are the means that lead to the ends of everlasting life, and we Amen. need those as much as we need predestination. We need God's sovereign, eternal purpose as, as much as we need uh, His actual work uh, in space and time to save us, and he has done so through Jesus Christ. And this uh, repeats the point that one of the grounds for our preservation in the faith and our perseverance to the end is God's predestinating, electing love. And in the same time, what we also see is that God uses many different means to cause those who are in Christ to persevere to the end. And if you kind of look at the way your your Westminster Shorter or Larger Catechism is structured, you have one section that is involved with what man must believe concerning God, and then you have another section which deals with what duty God requires of man. After you have the law itself expounded, you then have the response to that law, and then you get into the ordinary means of grace. And the way that it's meant to be structured is that these means are the way in which those who are chosen actually persevere. They grow in grace because of word, sacrament, and prayer. And so without the diligent and uh, diligent and active use of those specific means, we do not expect perseverance to occur. But that's why you're given all of the exhortations in Scripture to, one, for example, this is why you're given the exhortation to pray without ceasing. This is why you're given the exhortation in Scripture to commit yourself to the church and to the ministry of the Word. This is why you're given the exhortations in Scripture to take the Lord's Supper regularly. This is why you're told to remember your baptism and what it all signifies. Amen. This is the fellowship and communion that God calls us to. Exactly. He calls us to himself to restore that fellowship that Adam and Eve had with him in the garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he restores that. He brings us to himself. He, he doesn't. We're not robots, and he exactly. doesn't want us to be robots. But what he does is he renews our will. He gives us a new heart mm-hmm. uh, so that we could love him and be in communion with him. But that doesn't happen apart from his sovereign grace. That's right. Uh, and so so God, uh, out of the, the blessed sovereign fountain of his love he uh, foreknows and predestines us unto everlasting life and then in space and time he sends jesus christ into the world to be born of a woman uh, to live under the law and to obey that law without fault hmm. he obeys it perfectly he does love the lord uh, his god for, uh, with all of his heart soul mind and strength and his neighbor as himself perfectly for every second of his life uh, and and so then as a perfect uh, uh, lamb as a spotless lamb and a, and a perfect law keeper he lays himself down on the cross and he is crucified uh, bearing and then he bears our sin and our shame on the cross and god the father 
pours out his wrath upon him. Mm-hmm. And so he's judged in our place. And so, so our sins are, are paid for. The debt of our sin is paid for. Uh, he gives us his righteousness. Uh, and, and then he dies and he rises again from the dead. So through, through faith in Christ, we receive full pardon for our sins, a robe of righteousness, and now we stand before God justified. And so, so what happens is he predestines us, Romans 8.30, then he calls us effectually, mm-hmm. that is, we're born again, brought into union with Christ, and then in union with Christ, that what he has done on the cross impacts us. Mm-hmm. It affects us. And so in Christ then, born again, we are declared righteous, justified, and then it says, and glorified. Amen. It's actually the past tense of mm-hmm. the of the word glorified. So our salvation is so sure, so certain, not least because of God's predestinating love, mm-hmm. that we can even use glorified in the past tense mm-hmm. there in Romans 8.30. Uh, it's that aorist tense, mm-hmm. that past tense of that, that, um, that word. And so this doctrine is not meant to use to beat people over the head with, um, uh, to have angry conversations with family members over Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> this is a doctrine of comfort for Christian believers. Uh, it's a doctrine of comfort because in Romans 8, as Paul's talking about suffering for the Christians in Rome, he's saying, God has you. Mm-hmm. He's saying, if, if, if God is for you, who can be against you? That's right. Uh, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him for us all, over for us all, how will he not with him give us all things? I want to close, Gabe, by uh, reading the last verse of this wonderful hymn by Augustus Toplady, where he writes, Safe in the arms of sovereign love, we ever shall remain. Nor shall the rage of earth or hell make thy sure counsel vain. Not one of all the chosen race, but shall to heaven attain. Here they will share abounding grace, and there with Jesus reign. Amen. The doctrine of predestination, Gabe, shouldn't it make us more passionate in our Christian living? Shouldn't it make Mm. us more comforted? Shouldn't it uh, increase our motivation for evangelism as we know that it pleases God? Uh, to use evangelism and preaching in the means of grace to bring the elect unto himself and to bring them to glory. Uh, And so this doctrine is such a foundational one and one that deserves uh, much study uh, and much meditation as we uh, consider what God's Word teaches us. Well, uh, we're so glad that you joined us uh, for this episode of Between the Times, and uh, we look forward to being with you next time. (laughs) 